Welcome to the We Do Marketing Hour podcast. I'm your host, Alex Valencia. And our goal here is to help you grow your business and your life, make you a better person in the next 60 minutes. In each episode, we bring on experts in their respective fields and have in-depth discussions that offer you the tools you need to create cutting-edge strategies that you can implement in your business or in your life. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down with Sarah Williams, an accomplished attorney with Alexander Shannara Trial Attorneys, where she handles trucking litigation, wrongful death, and many other parts of the business alongside her amazing social growth. Sarah is also a mother, a Frenchie lover, a bourbon lover, but also adjunct professor at trial advocacy at Cumberland School of Law, where she teaches advanced skills in trial advocacy. She also serves as a coach for the Cumberland School of Law's nationally ranked mock trial team. Graduated at Florida State University, that's right. And join us as Sarah Williams talks about balancing her role as a mother, wife, and a black woman in a white male dominated industry while inspiring clients, young people, and other female and minority lawyers. Sarah Williams, it is awesome to have you on the show. Super Thank you for having me. Yes, so yes. To be here. Um, so where are you? Are you working at out of the office? That is a nice office. Thank you. Yeah, we've been in the office um, since last year, so. Yes. <laughs> I, and I love the pink. I don't know what that it's is. The fridge. I know. Oh my gosh, I... that's a pink fridge. It's <laughs> awesome. And if you guys don't know, Alexander Shannara, also a really amazing man. I've had the chance to meet and, and fly out and, and talk to several times. Um, you have a, a great business partner, a great friend in Alexander. Um, you know, what's what's it like working hand to hand and working alongside with him? And I know he's been really supportive of your career. <laughs> So he is, uh, I mean, every day is a an adventure. Um, <laughs> every day is an adventure. I, I mean, that's a personal injury business in general. But, um, you know, Alex is a, a creative legal marketer. I think that he tries to stay ahead of the curve. And so um, it's fun really to be able to, um, trigger that kind of creative side that I, I don't think is often triggered as in, in our just legal profession um, and to talk through advertising and marketing with him to kind of always stay of you know a couple steps ahead I mean as you know it's ever-changing the landscape ever changing. you know who knew that we would be uh, marketing via Instagram as as lawyers you know even five years ago right so right and and that seems like you've been a very busy woman. And when when I say seriously balancing work, life, business, you know, being a mom, uh, relationship with your husband, who you know I, I give my heart to because I know you're gone and traveling a lot. Um, and my same for my wife, right? I'm gone a lot a lot of the time. So when we have partners like that that we share our lives with that understand and 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 support us, it, it's such a blessing, right? Right. Absolutely. And. The entire team, I think for me, our family and extended family and friends who have become family have just been an integral part of me being able to do the things that I need to do um, in order to to have the career that that I want to have and, and still be a mom and still be a decent wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's more than decent. 
Well, most days. <laughs> we can all right. We can all right. attest to that. Um, so tell me what you're working on. Like, uh, so folks, I want to dive in and I want to learn as much as I can about Sarah, about what she's doing, about what life was like, what drove her into working for one of the biggest or the biggest um Alabama personal injury going national, you know, all the different areas that she's been. So, you know, we want, we're going to probably jump a little bit all over the place here, but really kind of get to the root of who Sarah is, what drives her, what her purpose is. I've got some really cool quotes that I'm going to share with you later and, and get her feedback on, on what those mean to her. So Sarah, you know, just kind of jump in, tell me what you're doing on, because you've been traveling a lot, you've been speaking, what's the purpose, what's your goal right now? Yeah, so um, as you, I think when I met you, I was managing the firm. I managed our firm from 2017 until December of 2020 and decided to step away from that because I, it just wasn't serving what I felt was my ultimate purpose, which I, I love to teach. I love practicing as well, but I really love teaching. And I also think that it is important for um I say women and people of color, but I think it's important for for society in general to become accustomed to seeing women in leadership and women, you know, speaking about leadership and, and women just kind of out there owning, you know, their authenticity and 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 walking through the world um, authentically and powerfully. And so, this year, uh, I made the decision with Alex's support to brand myself separately and to create a platform that supports um, women professionals. And, and it started with the idea that um, it was really frustrating to me to see how many women during COVID had to leave their professions. Um, and I really think that it is a result of society still viewing women as being primarily responsible for the caretaking at home. And so, you know, last year having to try to balance that with, with kids being at home just wasn't feasible for so many. Um, and I really just think that, that our country is due for a shift in that, that ideal. I think that we lost a lot of talent. Our firm lost talent. Um, we lost talented women lawyers who, um, whose responsibilities at home, you know, out, weigh their responsibilities here and that those decisions were made. And so my ultimate goal is to continue to inspire women to, you know, decide they can make the legal profession or whatever profession they're in, what they want to make it. So a great point. So within that shift, do you think the pandemic now, like after everyone overcame the, the, mellowness of the the pandemic that the uh um you know kind of just let that melancholy go away do you think they they're resetting now and realizing that i can have a career from home and i can balance it you know because you know giving credit to women right like they're if anybody's organized and can do more than one thing and i don't want to call it multitasking because multitasking has kind of a negative like unorganized connotation right like you're actually finishing and doing more things at once where you know us as males been more you know at going after one thing i'm i'm more of that disorganized uh multifaceted um doing different things at once but that's just how my my crazy brain works and i get a lot accomplished because of it but do you think that helped 
turn things around. Like that shift is actually coming up because now through so much social media, through women like you, through shows, through um, this empowerment movement, we're teaching and, and now they're learning to make that shift, to, to take that ownership internally and say, fuck it, you know, I'm going to take take the bull by the horns and I'm going to make things happen. No one's going to push me down. This pandemic's not going to do it. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the government politics, whatever, whatever's going on right now, is not going to hold me down. I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to be able to do it. And you're allowed to do it now from home. So I think what I do think that there is an, a mindset shift for women professionals in that, for years and years and years, many industries, and especially the legal industry, um, you you were made to feel as if if I'm not in my office and in my chair between 7.30 and 8.30, then there's something wrong with me. If I'm working from home, then, you know, that is uh, somehow, you know, a, a negative factor. You know, this is not an industry that you can, you know, work remotely even part of the time. Like you have to have that FaceTime and have to be in right. the office. And so I, I think that, you know, kind of like um, the Maury Povich, the, the pandemic determined that was a lie, right? Like everyone thought, oh, you know, the legal industry is going to crash and we're all going to be unemployed. And we figured it out. Right. And, right. and our firm, you know, I had the best year I've ever had. And, and many of our lawyers did. And, and, you know, once we figured it out and adjusted, um, in some instances, we saw an increase in, in productivity. And so, right. so I just, I think the idea that um, we cannot mold this industry into something that works for, and not just women, I think, and that's part of the problem, I think for parents in general, I think this idea that you have to sacrifice your relationships with your family and your children in order to succeed in this industry, both male and females, because I think a lot of men will, you know, sacrifice their relationships with their families in order to, to, um, to satisfy, you know, these, these, um, requisites of the legal industry that we, the, the pandemic determined don't have to be in place. And I think it was clear that we have the ability to really change this industry and, and to change the way we work if we're willing to do it. I think now that we are back in the office, I think what we are seeing is a generational conflict. I think that, that, um, <laughs> I know where you're going. You know, what I, I yeah, think yeah. That, that there is that even though the numbers do not reflect that we were less productive at home, there is still this idea that we are less productive at home by the generation who were astounded by blackberries. Right. So, so I think that that is the issue that we're having is that that generation of lawyers cannot let go of what I view is it, it is more of a mental issue with control. Like if I don't see you in the office internally, I feel like you're not working, right? Irrespective of what the data shows, right? Intern like I, and so I think it's a mindset shift. I think. And so I think at the end of the day, law firms who have leadership 
that is innovative and creative in figuring out how to allow um, their lawyers to balance work and family in such a way that that you know the bottom line doesn't does isn't affected. Um, I, I think those are the firms that are that in the next five to 10 years are going to be more successful and are going to attract the talent. Because I think at the end of the day, what the pandemic taught us was, I am, I can go, you know, I can be flexible in, in where I'm working and my priority has to be my mental health, my physical health and my family, right? And at the same time, I can still be productive at work and, and, and put those things as a priority. So. That's what I see. I, I have been disappointed um, at the lack of, you know, as much money as law firms invested in remote technology at the lack of continuity um, of some of the work situations when it comes to, to the pandemic versus now. Although clearly we're still in it, right? Yeah. So are you a proponent for working at home? Do you work better at home or is it the same for you either way? It depends. Hybrid. Uh-huh. It depends. I'm more of a hybrid. Um, and then we're on the road so much, right? right. And so, and I, you know, if if a opposing counsel or an adjuster calls me and wants to negotiate a claim, like I need to be able, I've I've settled cases on the steps of Disneyland, waiting for Disneyland to open, right? And that's a benefit to my client um, that that I can, you know, be mobile and 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 do these things and you know, go to take a deposition in Seattle. And at the same time, while I'm in Seattle, taking a deposition, schedule a deposition that in Birmingham, you know, it allows for flexibility. I think it allows for us to move dockets and move cases faster right? because we have the ability um, to not be confined to, you know, when can I get there on an airplane, train or, or car? Right. right. Um, and so I think that's it. I think that that there has to be that shift. And I think there will be. And I say it's generational. I, I really think it's more of a personal. I really do. I think it's just, you've got folks who feel like, look, I have this office building and I need bodies in it. And I, I, I get that to a certain extent, but I am personally, there are days like tomorrow I need to draft a lot of things. And I cannot do that at my office because I constantly have people coming in and out to discuss cases and roundtable right. cases, which I that's one thing I love about the practice of law is the collaboration. But some days I need to focus on a thing. And so for those days I'm at home or, or you know, if if next week Malone does has a week between camp and and me and my husband, who's an electrician, are trying to figure out there are going to be some days where, where I'm working from home, you know, and, and being able to offer people that flexibility, I think, allows for us to retain talent, both male and female talent. I agree. It's more attractive on the HR level, right, when you are. And now you can, I mean, we live in such an amazing time where um, it's negative and positive, but you can extract talent from other markets because they're not available in your own, right? Like we, we Miami Fort Lauderdale is a tough market for us. So we're fortunate to be able to extract people from, from different markets that have the education and just tenacity and um, 
the the will to do the type of work that we do that that's very production based very aligned and and we noticed that you know for us in our with our team they were very productive from home so we opened up our offices fully i've been coming to the office forever but um for our team a couple of weeks ago and you know there's a lot of them still rather work from home just didn't because they got used to it and it's fine as long as they're producing and right? the numbers are there. So it's okay with us. But with that mindset, like you said, that generational gap, like I'm paying for an office, I'm paying for all the supplies. I have all this technology that, you know, in 2019, when we had a huge growth, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on to have here, but that no one is now using. Right. Um, so it's kind of that ego that, damn, I spent all this money and now you're not using it and you're working from home. You know, it's not that I don't think you're productive. It's just I love seeing your smiley face. And there's just something about the collaboration and energy and the morale when people are around. Right. Like if I walk into the office, I'm hyped up. I'm What's up? How's everybody doing? Glad to see you. I go to my office. Right. I'm not a Zoom guy. I'm not going to get on a Zoom call in the morning and be like, hey, how's everybody doing? Because it seems fake to me. So for me, I'm one of those people where I'd love to see everybody here. I respect that they're not. But um I would like for everyone to be here. I would love for you know me to close shop on a Friday afternoon and say, come on, well, I'm taking everybody for drinks. That's right. Um, I, I and think I miss on that. I think the hybrid model is probably, you, you know, there are, and that's why I advocate for a hybrid model. I think, yeah. that, you know, like when, when folks have kids who are at home sick, clearly we now know we can send them home with a laptop, right? <laughs> right. And so they don't have to, you know, necessarily take that time off. And so I I, I think um, you are correct. I love being in the office. One thing, I, you know, I coached mock trial last year, we were all virtual. And so while we were able to meet a little bit with our individual teams, the team as a whole um, never got together. And, and so this year we're able to meet in person and we just had our first boot camp. Oh, that's cool. And the energy was so positive and collaborative. And, and I just, I think for purposes of team building and connection, I think, you know, in terms of connecting people, it's important for them to be in front of each other mm -hmm. at some point, right? And we'll still be a little virtual. And so we'll have some virtual practices, but I just think that, that you miss a lot of um, like what one thing we miss is one of our coaches smokes, our head coach. And so we all kind of stand out there and it's like the thing, all, everybody stands around and we get to know each other. And that was something I think we missed out on. So I agree. I think there, there, there's a balance. And I think if we all, um, kind of think outside the box, I think we can figure out how to make it work so that we all have that, that balance. of yep. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So I kind of want to go into the timeline. I want to learn about young Sarah and what brought Sarah to become an attorney, because I don't know if anybody knows, but Sarah was an aspiring sports agent. Um, and I mean, obviously it's becoming an uh, accomplished lawyer um, with the firm. And I, I mean, I just got to give mad respect to what you've done socially, the quality of the videos, the conversations, so everything you've done, and I'm excited to get into on some of those topics, but tell me about young Sarah, how it all came about, what it was like being a kid, where you grew up, um, and you know what went to the journey of, of becoming a lawyer. All right, so I'm an Army brat. 
I was born in Tallahassee, Florida, which is where my parents are from, but only because my mom was was too pregnant to um, to fly. My dad had just been stationed in, in Holland um, for this joint army NATO um, project, and so I. I spent my first six years of life in a, in a Dutch village and wow. like a Dutch preschool and kindergarten. And then when I was six, we moved to New Mexico. <laughs> we were stationed on White Sands Missile Range, which is an amazing place. Um, and so we were there until I was 12. And then we moved to Germany and we were there until I was 15. And then we, my dad retired and we moved back to Tallahassee. Um, and so I am this like hodgepodge. People are always like, what's your accent? And I'm like, eh. Right. This <laughs> is kind of a, you know, you just get what you get. Um, you know, I'm country sometimes and sometimes I'm not. It depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, I get it. And so um, I have always been a reader. I, I grew up when we were in Holland um, we had, I don't know if you're familiar, but you, you have AFN, which is armed forces network. So you get one, you have one channel, right? And so TV was not like a big thing for, for me growing up. And so I read a lot. Um, and, and so I initially wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write fiction. Um, but you know, as you grow older, you start realizing, I think you get more practical. Um, and although, yeah, in writing, Where's, yeah, yeah. Writing? I just, <laughs> I think for for my generation, um, which I love, parents now who really push their kids towards creative um, industries. My my parents were more like, so what you going to do to make a living? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so, I. I I was always very outspoken, even at a, a very tender age. The stories that my parents and my brothers tell are, are hilarious. And so I think, you know, when, when you are an outspoken girl, you're always told you should be a lawyer. And, and so, and I researched being a lawyer and, I, and, and when I was in the 11th grade decided, oh, you know, I'll go to law school and become a, you know, corporate lawyer. And then I went to Florida State and started meeting a lot of athletes who would go pro and then go broke. Mm -hmm. and, you know, be that was kind of during the time period when agents were taking advantage of, right. of these kids. And so um, I thought, okay, you know, these are folks from my community that are being taken advantage of. I can go to law school, become a sports agent. And so I, w I, w I looked at both Marquette and Tulane, which have that sports wow, education. Yeah. Got into both, got full scholarships to both, um, almost went to Marquette. And then they told me that uh, during the winters, they have to go to class in tunnels because it's so cold. And, you know, I'm from Florida. <laughs> so <laughs> that was not attractive to me. And I just had randomly been at this um, law school's conference and the admissions counselors from Cumberland, like, grabbed me and pulled me over and said, hey, you know, we really like you to apply to Cumberland. Let us tell you about it. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. And I was like, all I know about Alabama is from the civil rights movement. Right. <laughs> Definitely not moving there. But it, they said, look, we'll waive your application fee. Um, 
So, you know, I said, what the heck? And, and they, uh, you know, I was accepted and offered a full scholarship. And so I was like, well, let me go visit this place and really fell in love with the campus. Um, had never been to Birmingham, but it was, you know, it's a larger city than Tallahassee, um, but smaller than Atlanta. So I felt like I could move well, you know, and, and, and navigate it well. Um, and, and so just kind of took a chance and moved, moved here. And, and, and I felt very welcomed at Cumberland, even though there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. Um, I felt a, a huge sense of, of family. And so um, while I was at Cumberland though, I, I did a mock trial competition and I was like, oh yeah, like this thing is, it is something that, that combines um, me being able to use my voice, also being able to write creatively um, and kind of puts that all together. And then I can make a living to satisfy my parents who want to stop paying my cell phone bill, you know? So, <laughs> so I, I fell into the, to the trial advocacy and then just haven't looked back. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so when you do the mock trials, cause I, I have a, a really close friend's daughter who's actually same situation, right? Outspoken, uh, positively ma manipulative, great with the parents and adults. And, you know, ever since I remember, just because I've been in the legal industry, I'm like, she's got to study law, right? Everything I know, that's the direction she should go, just because I know the possibilities and everything you can do with it, right? Um, so now she's doing, and she's doing amazing with the mock trials. So when you set that up, you're, are you writing the cases? Are you pulling from cases? How does that work? So the competitions we attend will release a problem um, and it'll have a set number of witnesses and it's like a, a whole legal problem contained. It'll have the relevant jury instructions and the relevant pleadings and the evidence that we'll use. Um, and then we have to prepare both sides of the case. And so for us, it's a class at, at Cumberland. Um, and we assist in the writing as coaches, but the goal is to teach the students like how to structure an opening so that mm -hmm. when they go into real practice, right, they, the facts may be different from for their case, but the structure is often the same because it's structured based on um, kind of psychological research in regards to persuasion. Right. right. And, and so and storytelling. That's and so sweet. so it's very helpful for them to learn, OK, what's the structure? And then any case they're trying. So when I got out of law school, I, I went to a firm where I mean, we were in trial sometimes three or four times a month. Um, but it's it's easy once you understand the structure to just mm -hmm. be able to plug in. Right. Right. So. So, yeah. So then we go and we try both sides and, and hope that we advance. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love that. I wish I would have done more cool stuff like that at, at, at my age. Like me growing up, you were either going to be like a doctor, lawyer, architect. Um, and then there was all these other service jobs. You didn't really know everything out and you didn't have the brains. There wasn't now. There's just so more, so much opportunity with social media, TV, talking about all these different cool careers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I wish I my known. cousins like designs video games. Yeah. All this Sorry. neat stuff, and, and I hate video games. <laughs> and I love that my aunt and uncle, and and it has really informed me when when I 
Like I would love for Malone to follow in my footsteps. Like she talks about wanting to be a lawyer and wanting to be a judge. Oh, wow. Wanting to have an office beside mine. I love um, it. But who knows, you know, yeah, she could go to high school and fall in love with something else. And I remember when my cousin was like, I want to design video games. I was like, I looked at my aunt and uncle like, get her, you know, because they were the ones that always pushed me towards like business. And they were like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's figure out where the camps are, and right. what the schools are. And, and she has a fantastic career, has already sold a video game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing to me what can be done, you know, if you have the support and, you know, at home. Love it. So with that said, there's, um, I believe in pushing your kids into creative uh, jobs and, and uh, creative portals. Um, both of my children are very creative, so we're very supportive with that. Um, there's a book by Daniel Pink called The Whole New Mind um, that you know you, you might want to read or any of the audience should pick up and read. Um, but it, it really starts talking about the technology development, like you know where jobs will be in the U.S. ten years from now, and where we're missing that huge aspect of creativity, inventors, artists, designers. Um, there's a small pool of that because of our parents telling us, and before that, and that getting into the mindset of you know you got to do this to actually be successful. You know, there's amazing opportunities in the creative world that you can make a great career in. So the book is Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. Um, you know, make sure you guys check it out. It was a, a book I read slash listened to because um, I need to do both. Right. Um, but we, we, we touched on so many cool words so far. And I just want to touch on them because, you know, when we edit, I, I hope they come up on the screen. But, you know, mind shifting is huge, right? Um, you know, I know you work on it. You talk about it a lot. I'm big into, you know, my own meditation and prayer morning, mind shifting, changing my mind in, in different things and, and, you know, helping those around me to think of things um, differently. Um, and, you know, I just I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we continue having that mind shifting and support have been very big uh, words that we have, we have talked about. So now yeah, moving, I think no one talks about that. Like, no, no one talks about like the importance of um, your mindset and how it can hinder you and how, or, you know, how you can, how you can master it to, to, in order to be successful. And I feel like um, there are so many things that like now that I'm in my forties that I am teaching myself that I try to pass on to my students. And some of it, I feel like we were just kind of doing innately, but did not have like a, a phrase to put on it. Right. Um, like I was, the thing that attracted me about a trial ad program was that um, my coaches always said, like, you keep, like, I had this one practice I'll never forget um, where I had to do my direct examination over and over again. And I was so embarrassed because I was on a team of all three L's and I was the only two L and they had picked me up and, and I, and I felt like I was failing. And finally my, my coach was like, Hey, I need Sarah's voice. Not this like weird white woman, like, <laughs> you know, mimic that you're doing. Right. Because we had always been taught, like, you got to have these two voices, you have to be able to code switch. Um, and, and the reality is like, what I have learned is like, I am okay, just who I am, right? Like I have 
I have um, walked into some rooms with with people that we all respect, the Levin Papantonios of the world, and and the John Morgans of the world, and 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 others. And when you are yourself, and you see that that people respond to that, you're like, oh yeah, I don't have to be you know, this, whatever people decide is some, you know, fake professional voice, but that's a mindset. I think it's as much about mindset as it is about, you know, having the right mentors. Um, but it takes, I think a strong mindset to be in this world where you've got the Kardashians and all the influences of social media in this world. I think it takes a lot of mindset work to say, I am going to be myself right? You either like me or you don't. It's fine if you don't. Um, but like, I'm, I, I just, I can't walk through this world as some, someone else, right? That doesn't right. work. Um, you nailed it right there. Um, I think we've all struggled with that. And, and my question is, do you think that's learned behavior or did you always have that? Was there a point where you said, shit, I got to start shifting my mind to start believing being attracted to who I am and by attraction, right? You believe the law of attraction, you attract other people to you, right? By believing, being who you are, you know, you walk in and take ownership because I was the same way. I mean, I remember growing up, right? You know, broke, cleaning, janitorial stuff. You know, my dad went from having money, not having anything to me being 11 years old, cleaning women's toilets. Um, and then walking into corporate America with a whole bunch of really wealthy people and holding my head down because I didn't feel like I was up to their level, you know, education-wise, background-wise, money-wise. So at one point, you know, some really good friend and a business partner at the time helped me shift my mind to think, be happy with who you are because you bring a lot to the table and start carrying that with confidence. And like you said, walking into that room with those big guys and, you know, dude, he's just a man. He's just got a little bit more money or he's just, they're just a woman. They, they probably just have a little more, but they got the same broken heart. They break the same way. They cry the same way. They go to the bathroom the same way, right? There's no difference between them and I, right? When, when you're a baby, you're in the same diapers. When you die, you're in the same coffin. Doesn't yeah. Doesn't, right. Yeah. I think what I have, I have learned from watching folks like Alex and, 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 having the opportunity to be in these rooms, I think the difference with these folks is they figured out they were going to be themselves early on. Right. And, and so, because for me, I think the shift in my career came when I made the decision to do what I wanted to do. And it, unfortunately, not unfortunately, it oddly came, you know, at a time where I just had Malone and I was like, I don't want to do defense work, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that everyone says you should do. Um, I don't want to do it. It doesn't make me happy. And, and I've got this, you know, six month old, but I'm going to take a risk. And I think that part of being able to take risks is when you trust yourself, when you are vulnerable enough to bet on yourself, right? When you are trusting your own voice and trusting your own skills. Um, but that comes part of from that mindset shift. Um, for me, it's interesting what I do love about social media as an army brat, um, because I, I wasn't, it wasn't like, we still, we wrote letters. Like I have a, a shoebox full of handwritten letters from me and my friends when we would move bases. But eventually when you're a kid, you're going to stop writing letters. It's not like now where you can, you know, keep up with folks on Facebook. And right. so 
the past 10 years or so, I've been reconnecting with a lot of people that I went to elementary school with and that I went to middle school with. And it's funny um, because when they tell stories, they're always like, you were so outspoken and you were so confident. And, you know, people used to say you have a big nose and you would say, yeah, because that is my African ancestry and proud <laughs> of it. Own it. And so I was, I was like, man, when did it change? And I think, you know, when you get to high school and you get self-critical and you start, you know, um, you, go, you go into places and you start kind of doubting yourself. I think that, you know, middle school and high school, and really at, with my little girl, I see in elementary school, you really have to inject like a sense of uh, self-confidence. And sometimes my daughter is like overly confident, but I know that eventually, you know, she's going to get, you know, knocked down. And so I'd rather she start here and end up in the middle, right? right? And still maintain that sense of self than to start in the middle and end up where I think I ended up in high school and college where I felt like I had to change who I was. And part of that is, you know, leaving Germany and coming back to the States and every, and culturally it just being different. And then, you know, going from an, a primarily black high school to Florida state and just, um, just finding my way. But, but I definitely, I wish I had had, um, and having grown up with parents who are children of the civil rights movement, right? Who, um, who for safety reasons had to behave a certain way when around, um, you know, non-black people, right? For, for, you know, for their safety and for, for right. their lives, they had to. And so I think a lot of that trauma, that racial trauma has been passed down from them to us. And so my goal in life, the, the next phase of my life is to not pass it down to, to, my, to Malone so that she then won't pass it down to her children. Um, I think a lot of the mindset issues that, that we as people of color have come from a place of fear. Um, and if I can not pass that fear down to, to my child, like I will have felt like I successfully parented. Wow. I, I love that. Um, T.D. Jakes has a really good sermon called Breaking the Chains. Um, that, that's, a, that's a great one where, uh, you know, I've, I've heard this a lot through friends and, and just different talks that I've heard is, is breaking those chains of fear. And we all have chains that we've got to break, right? That, that passed down from our parents, passed down from their trauma, passed down from before that. So, um, yeah, it, it takes time. And I love the fact that, you know, you're, you want to break those chains from alone and not pass that on. And boy, are you doing it, man. You're, you're, you're totally coming out with it and, and showing that confidence and illuminating the screen or the stage whenever you're on. So that's amazing. You know, mad props to you for, for that behavior and example to your daughter and, and to the students that you're teaching, the people that, that you're speaking to. Um, and with that said, I'm going to go into this quote that you made. Um, it's, uh, I think it was on one of your podcasts of breaking barriers with authenticity and vulnerability. Um, and your quote says, don't worry about your weaknesses, focus more on your strengths and be great at a few things rather than average at a lot of things. Find a mentor you can be vulnerable with and who makes you feel comfortable so you can develop your authentic voice and build confidence. Be confident in your abilities and don't be afraid to show it. 
the quickest way to lose a skill is to hide it away. Those are powerful words. Yeah. You're that. like, damn, did I say that? I'll write that. <laughs> Make that into a graphic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was beautiful. Sometimes I just drop knowledge. You got to catch it. Yeah, yeah, like, bam. <laughs> Um, so that's awesome. So it's kind of like, you know, just it, it, uh, is the foundation of everything that, that you just talked about and, you know, comes through in, in what you're showing and, and teaching and, and showing people, um, what you're learning about. And, you know, let's, let's talk about your empowerment, right? Like I was, I kept talking about your social media. Um, and the things that you're doing, the authenticity, the authenticity, you know, I want you to touch on that and, and giving yourself permission to do things. And you kind of touched on it, but I want you to dig a little deeper. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll go into a little advice on, you know, some other females, minorities, other lawyers that are coming into the business. And again, you know, it doesn't have to be just women, minorities, it's anybody really like we're all struggling. Right. I, and, and if we go back just a couple steps, Social media makes it so hard for so many people, right? Like if you're following social media and you're constantly on your phone and you're seeing the successes of other people and you're feeling outweighed or surpassed by them, it's a facade. You just got to know a lot of it's a facade. A lot of it's a business. You know, people are doing well. They're doing well. But behind the scenes of everything you see, kind of like I love lifting weights, right? I love working out. But when you see the dude that's ripped, you don't see all the work, all the meals that he had to go through, all the hours that he had to sleep, all that uh, extra dieting that he did, um, the painful struggles that he had from either broken bones or, or you know, just you know, muscle tissue breaking down from all the work. So you don't really see the work that goes into it all. All right. you see is a success, and it's easy to bring a person down. So make sure you're shifting, thinking of the thinking of your goal, but making sure you realize that. You can't get upstairs without stepping on every step to get there. Yeah. And your path is your path, you know, and, and that is, I think the um, comparison is a thief. It, mm -hmm. it, it really is. It, it steals like our peace. It steals our creativity. Um, you, what is for you? I'm a firm believer. What is for me is for me. Right. Um, and, you know, people will often say, well, what was your path? And I think the thing that we, that, that the risk that, that is always inherent in being a leader and being a mentor is folks think that your career is formulaic. There's no formula for, you know, success because it's all independent on, you know, what is success to you? Um, you know, what are your goals? What makes you happy? Right. And I think this, the problem with social media is oftentimes people feel like, okay, um, I, Kylie Jenner is a billionaire. And so, you know, I need to be a billionaire. Like I don't have to be a billionaire. Maybe that happens one day, right? right? But at the end of the day, um, I think, you know, you have to, that's a part of authenticity that I think oftentimes people think authenticity is like, um, the difference between speaking one way and speaking a different way or, or, or like they, they wrap it up just in code switching. I think the most important thing about authenticity is being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
being true to yourself and, and being happy with what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons I stepped away from managing the firm. It's like, I was good at it. I mean, look at our growth, right? I put a bunch, a lot of systems in place. Um, you know, we, we took the firm to, to new levels. Um, but I knew internally, like that just, that wasn't my, that's not my ministry, right? right. Maybe eventually, maybe at some point in time it will be again. Um, but I knew that, that that wasn't what I had to give to the, like I had more to give to the world and it wasn't the thing that I wanted to define me. It's something I fell into kind of cause the firm needed it at the time, but it was a very difficult decision because people are like, oh, look at you, you're the managing attorney at one of the largest firms in the Southeast. You know what I mean? And, and the only black female managing attorney of a firm this size, and you're, all, you're you know, 37, and this is great. And, and I think so often we get caught up in the perception, being worried about how people will perceive what we do. And I was very worried um, when I was trying to make a decision about what to do, about how people would view me stepping away from that role. Mm. Um, and even now, like we're, now that we're back at conferences, people are like, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'm like, yeah, I've never been happier. Like I'm doing this other thing and I'm doing the things that make me happier. I wasn't able to coach as much. Like it was taking me away from the things that really made me happy. Um but it's very odd that that I think people focus so much on what they view as success because of what, you know, social media is that when you are authentic, it's, you know, you figure out what that is for you. And then you got to kind of tune out the outside noise. Love it. Authenticity. Any advice for current aspiring lawyers, females, minorities, boys, girls, anyone just coming into any industry, maybe stepping out of college, going into law school, you know, different stages of their life. What's uh, some advice? So I think what I see the most with students is that they, they have it all figured out, right? They're in undergrad and like me, they're like, I'm going to be a sports agent or they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to manage little Wayne's career. And, and it's like, I, look, if that's truly your passion, right. And, and you take classes on, you know, intellectual property and, and all the things that, that are related to um, that industry that I think most people don't have any idea about, like they think it's fun and exciting and cool, but don't, but it's really um, much more intellectual and, and a lot of it's writing and a lot of it's technical. Um, I, I think what I learned in law school was being open to new and different opportunities, um, being open to experiences that were, you know, not things I had thought I wanted to do and not anything I'd ever um, planned to do, but just being open to trying new things led me to my career, which I now know is exactly what I should be doing, right? But if I had not taken a risk and tried something new and just tried something different. And so I think it's important for young people to not feel like you got to be a millionaire at 26 or at 30 or at 35, or that you have to know exactly what area of law you're going to practice your first year of law school. 
Like who knows? Like I know who thought that I would be working for the largest advertiser, right? Like, you know, um, at, at the end of the day, you don't know where your career may take you. And, and so I think the key is to stay curious, to stay open, um, minded and to experience as much as you can so that you can take advantage of opportunities and, and figure it out as you go, um, what actually makes you happy, but you won't, I don't think, you know, I don't think until you are in law school, you are not, um, engrossed in the legal field enough to have this like concrete notion of what exactly it is you want to do. So, all of that wrapped up in a nutshell is stay curious, stay open-minded and be open to trying new things because you never know, you may figure out um, that there's something you never thought you would love that you do. Love it. Um, and I don't know where I'm remembering all these books, but everything you're saying is reminding me of about a book I read. <laughs> so at another advice, like uh, just to add to, to what you just said, I read an amazing book called The Surrender Experience experiment um by michael singer and it's my journey into life's uh perfection it's a it's a it's got a great ending it's a true story but again like you said be curious be open surrender to the things that you typically wouldn't surrender to um and you'll just man all these amazing doors start opening up once once you start surrendering some of those things and by surrendering i mean saying no to the things you know that you typically would say yes to and say yes to the things you would typically say no to and then um, be brave enough to say this. I think one thing, and especially for women and people of color, is we get into firms and we get into work and we think, I was given this opportunity. Well, first of all, you earned it, right? Like nobody's hiring anybody that can't do the work. Um, I was given this opportunity, but there are things that that make this place unhealthy for me, right? And you're unhealthy and you're unhappy, but I'm here and our parents were of the mindset that you stay at a place and you work and you continue to just kind of grind along. And I just, I don't think that's the, I don't, I've got, you know, four law firms on my resume, but the last time I sent a resume was like 2008, 2009, you know what I mean? Because eventually like people will desire you. And so I think um, having the courage to step away from environments that are not healthy for you. You know, one of the things I like to say is like, you don't have, you don't, you don't have a duty to, or an obligation to break yourself in order to break barriers. Right. And so for some, sometimes the, you're the only minority at a firm and it's a healthy environment. Sometimes it's not, you don't owe that firm anything. You don't owe your people, you know, your mental health and physical health in order to, to remain in a place and, and try to break a barrier. And so that I want to make sure I say too, because I think oftentimes we as people of color put our entire race in our ethnic, like we put our people on our shoulders, right? And, and we're like, everybody's dependent on me to be the one at this firm that succeeds. Um, and if that firm isn't good for you, then then they're not deserving of, of you being there. That's a great point. That is, you don't want to carry anything on your shoulders like that, for sure. That's a lot of pressure. So let's jump in there now. And we maybe touched on a little bit er earlier, but let's 
the future of the legal profession in your eyes. Um, and I mean, with diversity, more women and mom lawyers, um, and you know what what what's that shift look like to to see progress? Because you know, honestly, I go to the same conferences you do, and, and then I was I was even impressed that I didn't even know this existed, but I don't know how would I. But you're you're part of the African Association for Justice, so there's obviously a a own conference, right? That you know you guys are putting together and, and trying to get everyone. But you know that it is majority white when we go to the conferences, right? Every single conference we go to. Are you think where at what level do you think that is? Is it in college level, parenting level? At what level do you think we're going to have more of a diverse industry? Not really conference, right? Because the people going to the conferences are the people that are aware of it, are there, and they're in that industry. But is it just because we don't have that many, that much diversification within our industry that they're not attending the conferences? You know, where do you think the slip up is? Where where do you think it begins? Yeah, I mean, I think the the numbers of diverse people at the conferences ref, reflect the percentage, percentages that are in the profession. Mm -hmm. And so I think where we have to tackle um, the issues regarding diversity and inclusion are one on the law school in the law school level. And it's my understanding um, that the ABA is preparing to potentially make um, diversity an issue that uh, a criteria regarding accreditation. Um, and look, I went to the widest private law school in the country in, in 2003, and here it is 2021, and it's still the widest private law school in the country. Um, and I love, love it a lot. I, I, I dedicate a lot of my free time to the institution. I, you know, I teach right. there. But because I love it, I can be critical of it, right? Yeah. Like it, that is a problem that we have not tackled, and and I think the legal industry is the same. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I will tell you. I think when people start saying, "Hey, I'm not hiring your firm if you don't have anyone there who looks like me," um, that is is going to be the thing that puts the pressure. I also think it, it's somewhat of a generational thing. I I, I am encouraged by um, the, the millennials in terms of, of, I think they are so much more accustomed to kind of a kumbaya type of environment. Um, so I, I don't know where we're gonna go with it. I don't know how, I don't, that is the thing that I struggle with the most is how do we um, increase our numbers? And I think one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why my, I was so passionate about the platform and, and doing the things that I'm doing, because I think part of it is, one of my friends always says, you can't, you can't believe you can achieve something you cannot see. Mm -hmm. So when you do not see people um, succeeding in a particular field, right? then you, you, you don't think that that's achievable for you and you may set your goal somewhere else. Um, and so I just think it's so important for those of us who are active and, and, and have um, platforms, people who have a platform, I think it's important for, for you to, to let law students see you, for you to speak at, at law schools, for you to you know bring on interns, um, 
you, I think we have to be as visible as possible because at the end of the day, it's a numbers game, right? If we have more numbers, I think we'll have more attendees um, and we just don't have the numbers. Right. Um, yeah, I kind of think it starts at a uh, elementary, middle school parenting level, just kind of guiding that and uh, putting that thought process in somebody's head. Like you said, if it's not seen, it's not understood. If you don't see the heroes, right? We're so used to seeing glorified athletes and stars and now social media people that, you know, um, industries where you could really have success and make a difference are falling to the wayside because it's not as cool. Um, but yeah, I, think- which I hate lawyers who poo poo social media. It's the most annoying thing. To um, um, <laughs> I mean, I it could be an amazing platform for them, right? Like if people are seeing like you, right, you're, you're, you're showing, you're making an example. And if girls or boys have any interest in that, realizing what you do and being cool on social and giving the right message, it's like, man, what do they do? I want to know what they do, right? So, exactly so right. more people were on the platform and using it that way. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, the legal industry tends to always be a little bit behind the curve when it comes to technology. And, and I mean, you know better than me. And so I know I would suspect you have some very difficult conversations with law firms in terms of, um, you know, convincing them that digital marketing it, at the end of the day, the business is not at country clubs, not for, not for personal injury anyway. Right. Um, and I think that, that there's just a generation of lawyers who, and not, honestly, it's not an age thing. I have some very young lawyers who just grew up, you know, old school, you know, I'm going to get cases based on my reputation. And it's like, yeah, me too. Um, but part of that is people aren't seeing each other anymore. And so I have a good reputation, but social media allows me to stay top of mind with the people who respect my reputation so that when something happens to their family member, they think of me and they haven't forgotten me, you know, and I, I just think there's a disconnect. And, and I think um, when when we catch up, because I think we will catch up, I think that will help tremendously with the diversification of the industry. Agreed, agreed. Um, I wanna kind of go through some of these successes here real quick before we jump into a little bit of fun stuff. Um, so remind me if these numbers are still, cause you know, um, so you've, Sarah Williams is an attorney, Alexander Chanel, where she handles print, are you still just primarily doing the trucking litigation and wrongful death litigation? Like I said earlier, has that evolved into other practices? Any no, so for anything? My primary focus is trucking litigation. Um, I still will handle different cases um, just based on what interests me. My husband's from Birmingham. And so, um, and obviously I've lived here now longer than I've lived anywhere else. So if I've got a friend um, or a family member, I'll still handle some, right. but I'm teaching a lot more. And so I'm really working on reducing my caseload to, to balance that. And I mean, it looks like you've collected over $25 million in verdicts, settlements. It's probably gone up a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure that's gone up, right? <laughs> I think my numbers are behind because, uh, um, you know, you, your community involvement um, not only are you doing the mock trials at Cumberland and, and you give your time there, but serves on the board of Homewood City Schools Foundation. 
Um, wow, you found and chair the Alexander Shinaro Women's Initiative, focuses on the needs and education of women and children in the community and fellow women professionals. Anything else you're currently working on? Man. No. Oh man, you are busy. <laughs> and and what do you have? What do you have? One Frenchie or two Frenchies? I have two Frenchies. Yeah, yeah, I've got two Frenchies. I like them more than my kids. So my youngest Frenchie just went through a she had to have her tail removed. Yeah, you told me. Of course, have had this issue. She had a corkscrew tail. Mm -hmm. so yeah, they suffer from that in our house. Um, yeah. Did it affect her walking or no? It doesn't. So she was developing these bacterial infections like underneath, mm -hmm. and she was just miserable. Um, and they tried to control it with medication, but finally they were like, "Look, I mean, we just got to take her tail off." Um, so it's just weird. She's just, you know, shaved on her, on her poor thing. Her whole back is shaved and, um, Aww. but she's fine. I mean, she was running around shortly after they just took the tailbone out. Um, but yeah, they are, they're an interesting breed. I had boxers before. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Um, which I love. I, I, I think these will be my last small dogs. I think we're, and I love them a lot. I mean, they're awesome, but they are high maintenance. Yeah, they're they're definitely high maintenance and they have a lot of issues. Um, okay. I mean, they're more, I mean, just even their attitudes. I don't know about yours, but like my oldest Frenchie, like if I'm working at home, has to hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> my boy is like that with my wife. So she's on a call because she, she likes working from home. So she's at home. She's on a call doing a training, doing something. He's got to sit there and talk to her the whole time. So now she's having to put him away in the room so she can actually have a meeting. But he's got to be there. Wherever she goes, he follows. That's right. It's, 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 they have just so much personality. They do. So yesterday, you uh, sort of commented on Simone Biles. And I was attracted to a quote you put because I absolutely love Brene Brown. And if you haven't watched her, she's got a great Netflix show and amazing uh, talks and, and books. But uh, the the quote is, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves, even when we risk disappointing others. This goes into so much of the things we've talked about today with your personality. And I don't know how deep you have to search for this quote, but um, I, I, I think it just kind of identifies a lot of the things that you've been talking about and, and, and purpose. Tell me more of your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I was, um, it's funny. I actually, I don't know if you have read chatter. I'm about to do a book review on it, but, um, let me get the author's name. Let me write it down now. Chatter. So good. It is, um, chatter by, it's a psychologist who talks about, um, it's one of the, I, I feel like my biggest, it's Ethan Cross, K-R-O-S-S. -S. Um, one of the things I struggle with a lot is convincing myself that I'm not good enough and, and that, you know, no one wants to hear what, and so my negative self-talk can be so limiting. And so that's the thing that I've been focusing on for 2021. Um, and Ethan Cross attacks it from a psychological standpoint, just how the brain works. And it was interesting because one of the passages in the books, he talks about elite athletes and how um, 
he actually talks about Simone Biles and how the, the way she is able to do what she does right. physically is because she has trained her body to do make the moves automatically without thinking about it. Because if she were to deliberately think about them and get in her head, then she wouldn't be able to, to, to make the moves and she could risk injuring herself. And then two days after I finished this book, this thing happens. It was so, so it really changed my perspective on it. But I also think um, I had several people when we were down in Miami say, I can't believe you quit as managing attorney. Wow. And so I felt a lot of, like, I, I, I felt Simone because I, I just, I think that the, that we, especially women, are socialized to put everyone else above ourselves. We put our, our husbands above ourselves. We put our kids above ourselves. We put our dogs above ourselves. And I think that translates at the office. And so what I see oftentimes with women lawyers, and not just at our firm, I, I tons of students and, and women friends who practice is we end up in situations where it, we are expected not to set boundaries at work either. And so it's like, I mean, there are certain firms who, who will ship breast milk back to, to babies. Like they have programs for, you know, women to ship their breast milk. And I just think to myself, what do you have to do that is so important that you got to ship your breast milk home? Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's the thing I think that when it comes to what we were talking about earlier about how we're figuring out now, oh, yeah, we can do this thing remotely, right? I don't need to ship my breast milk back home to my baby. Um, and I just, I think that there are so many women who have left not just the legal profession, but professions in general, because the inability to set boundaries at home and the inability to set boundaries at work is exhausting. And I, I have a number of friends who I know their mental health suffered because of that. And that caused them to leave the profession or their physical health suffered because of that. Um, there have been times where I have ignored my mental and physical health, you know, just trying to do the most to prove that I am worthy of being in this space. And that's what I think it comes down to. Um, you know, what Brene Brown calls hustling for your worth. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. Um, and so I really, I saw so much, you know, living in a conservative state, I saw so much criticism of her. Um, I just finished a deposition. I was going, just kind of flipping through Facebook, eating lunch. And it just, it made me, you know, think I was so proud of her, you know, for, for like, she's, she's the things that she can do physically make her great. Wow. Right. And, and this idea that we have to, to break ourselves for the, the athletes, one have to, have to break themselves or risk serious physical injury for our entertainment. I just think we have got to get away from that as a society. Like I just, but because I think it crosses over into other professions. And I think as lawyers, there's this idea, like I will never forget when I was at a firm getting an email on a Sunday on mother's day, Sunday from one of the partners. And it's like, I'm the only one at the office. So, and, and some, one of the other partners finally responded and said, yeah, man, it's mother's day. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, I mean, I remember having Malone and and I had a C-section and having my laptop at work and at the hospital and, and being hooked up to a morphine pump, but having my laptop in the bed, drafting discovery. Like I think, but I think the attitude that we have about professional athletes risking it all for that success translates into the attitude that we have about our associates and our employees and lawyers sacrificing everything for whatever it is we consider success for the big verdicts, for the big settlements, for, you know, the notoriety. And I just, I think it is unhealthy and we have got to start saying enough like this is and I thought after the pandemic because I felt like last year there was this whole like oh man spending time with my kids this is great right (laughs) like there was this I thought there was this whole like shift towards like a a realignment of priorities but (laughs) uh I don't I just don't I think that the criticism of Simone Biles showed me that that we we have a long way to go and shifting kind of that paradigm of um, how we view what professional, you know, what the threshold for professional sacrifice is. And so I'm, I am, I am absolutely proud of um, these 20 year olds. I actually had to type in my forties yesterday and I was like, Actually, like I I laid in the bed afterwards and I was just like staring at the ceiling like I'm in my 40s. I cannot believe this. Um, But like, I don't know about you. I feel like I read more and educate myself more on mindset and the psychology of my decision making now in my 40s trying to figure out how to, to reframe what I view as now an unhealthy um, relationship between work and and home, right? And, and trying to figure out where that comes from and how to to get out of that kind of off that kind of um, spinning wheel. But these kids are like, yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, uh-uh. uh, you know, I'm not going to um, hurt myself. Like I recognize that mentally, I am fixated on these moves, and it has caused me to perform poorly and almost injure myself. So I'm going to recognize and set this boundary that like, I'm not going to hurt myself or potentially hurt my team and continue to not score well. Right. And, and that's to, to, to entertain the masses. And so I just, um, I hope that, that that generation continues to do that because I think, um, the only way for us to have that shift is for the workforce to demand the boundaries. Good point. Good point. I agree. I think I think everything within balance. Um, I do think that twenty-year-old mind, um, and maybe this is my old generational mind thinking. It's too lax. So I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance where uh, you can push yourself. Right. Uh, you right. you you have to squeeze a piece of coal to turn it into a diamond. Right. So if you're not squeezing hard enough, you're never going to get the best out of yourself. There are uh, definitely some non-Simones. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in order, yeah. we know she has a good work ethic. Because yeah, yeah. For her, right? for sure. I agree. I think. Right. Know, We're not talking know. about the 20-year-old right. home smoking weed. That's like, yeah, no, not those. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> waiting for shit to happen, right? Like that's right, that's right. Like, <laughs> a lot of hands at my dispensary. Like, damn, I hung about to get that job yet. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I hung about to pass my driving test. Well, you didn't take it yet. Uh, <laughs> I gotta get out the couch. That's right. That's right. You gotta um, do the work. Yes, yes. All right. So this was awesome. Absolutely great. So some fun, just quick questions. Let's get to know you. Um, no, actually, let's go back because I, I was super interested in. And if I'm uh, crossing boundaries and I'm I'm getting too uh, too nosy. Okay. I was curious when you said we were in Miami, and you don't have to say names, but maybe group people, colleagues. Women uh, were they, you know, African American? Were they combined? Was it a, a, just a portion of everyone? Who would have said something to you that why the heck did you leave that job? I'm curious to say who would say that to you, and what what their thought process is is like when you were saying earlier, like, oh man, you know, we we feel like we have to carry a, a race on our shoulders and make sure we're not disappointing them, right? Like. It wasn't people of of color and race or women that said that to you, like, damn, you know, what did, why did you give that up? Like, you're ruining it for us. Um, so I, yeah, I, so I, I ask who said it. <laughs> yeah, so I think what was interesting about it was that it was a mix, and mm -hmm. I think that's why I am so in my head a little bit about it um, because it wasn't just. So I had old white dudes, you know, white dudes my age. Um, who were like, what's who, who, who were like, what's wrong? You know, so right. we know for you to give up that position, right? Something has to be wrong. Um, and then there were women who were like, hey, you, who, who I think were more concerned, okay. right? right? And, and were like, because they know, you know, trying to balance family and, and those responsibilities. So there, there was an assumption that I gave up the role to um or that something had happened and i was pushed out of the role right mm. um and then there were you know my folks who were like hey man like you made it and and who recognized that i made the decision right right um, but questioned my thinking on making the decision because of what you said like that that's like the pinnacle um and so it was a lot of educating folks like yeah, I mean, that that wasn't the pinnacle of success for me, right? Um, but, and while I am very sure that I did the right thing, when you have people kind of constantly, you know what I mean? Like it just, it gets in your head. Like I'm, and so some days I'm like in my head about it. Some days I'm like, man, I don't, what did, you know, what was I thinking? Uh, you know, is this, other thing that I'm trying to do gonna gonna work out but again I think that goes back to I think that's why like I reread Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown I watched her Netflix special again which which is so important and I've just been trying to I think the brain is a muscle right and so I think you have to um, read things or if you're not a reader listen to things um so I try to, I have tried to scrub my social media of like the negative things, like the gossip sites, all that mm -hmm. stuff that was kind of entertaining and funny, but it's like that negative energy. And I've tried right. to follow 
you know, people who talk about positive mindsets and being authentic. And um, because I, I think that it's important, like what you are putting in is going to directly affect what's coming out. And so oh, um, I get in my head too. And, and I think that I understand the place that they came from, right? Um, most of it was concern, you know, but but obviously it has made me feel some days it makes me feel like I question myself. <laughs> right. Well, it's good. I mean, it's uh I love your vulnerability and your honesty. And uh, you know, it's good that you're concentrating on those affirmations and and wanting to increase the knowledge of the positive word, right? Because, you know, we've both read stuff, right? Like even the words that our parents have said to us in our past or something a teacher may have said, right? Like that stuff sticks to you. It sticks to you more than you trying to reaffirm yourself. Like you can wake up, look in the mirror and say, I am great. I am awesome. I did made the right decision all day long, but you know, a car cuts you off and you're, you hear your mom telling you, you lazy bastard. You're like, you should have taken out the garbage. I'm like, I'm lazy. I'm sad. I'm broken again. Right. It's so, uh, it's, it makes sense to be consistent um, and disciplined in the teaching of reteaching, reteaching of your mind to set that right mind shift. Um, so, yeah, with that said, let's go into some fun. Okay. Some, uh, some spitfire questions. What right. makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Oh, I, I missed the, front, the first part. What makes you feel inspired? or like your best self, your best Sarah? Oh man, this is gonna be so superficial. Do it. But the first day, like after getting my hair done and like like the first day you gotta, of course, like new hairdo, new outfit, like just like be getting dressed up and like, I don't know. That yeah, helps I love that. No, I'm with you. I love getting a haircut and a new outfit. I, I, I immediately think uh, Eddie Murphy's song. It's it wasn't a Friday night. I just got paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you uh, and here's to the person whose boss or in business partner has the biggest billboards in the state. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, if I could have a billboard, I, I would, I would find a good Brene Brown quote, and I'm trying to think of one that, but about, um, she has a quote about um, not caring about whether people like you as long as you're yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, I, I just think people need a daily reminder to just go through the world as themselves. So that's what I would put on a billboard. Wouldn't make any money or generate any business. No, that's good. <laughs> if you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you say? Oof, 18. I would tell my my 18 year old self, I, I would probably tell her to to you don't have to go out every night. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. No, I would say to her, you are enough. You do not have to 
be something else to please other people. If you want to stay home and read versus going to the club, that's just fine. Nice. How would your parents describe what you do for a living? <laughs> um, you know, as a personal injury attorney who, who earns a living on referrals. My parents are very well educated in what I do. So they, I mean, and they're both college educated folks. So they would say, you know, she's a, she's a personal injury lawyer. She represents people who've been hurt, mm -hmm. but that's the line that I have, you know. Right. <laughs> My parents couldn't describe what I do. Um, <laughs> um, tell me about the three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Okay, so the first would be my maternal grandmother. She's also Sarah. Um, she is absolutely the strongest woman I know. Um, she grew up on a plantation. Um, you know, the whole like walk five miles to school. Like mm -hmm. that that's truly her story. Her parents died when she was young. Um, and she was at that point, they didn't have like DHR or whatever coming in to get kids. So they were just out on the plantation. So she had to make the decision to, to take her to get up every morning and walk five miles to the school bus um, to go to school. And then she had five children and, and divorced my grandfather when divorce was not um, a popular thing. And then went back to school and, 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 became a secretary, you know, in the seventies and eighties back when, you know, most of her friends were cleaning houses. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she is just like, she's always had this like tenacity and ballsiness. Like she is so much of who I get. Cause my mom is very reserved and I, we are like polar opposites. <laughs> she is the sweetest person, um, you will ever meet. And, and she definitely, um, has injected that like sense of empathy and caring in me. But my grandmother is more of a, like, she's not taking any shit. Right. And she always kind of instilled that in me. Like, you don't have to take anybody's shit. Um, so I love her for that. She's awesome. What did um, people? the other, um, Okay, obviously Alex <laughs> has been very influential for me. He has been, um, and, and I, I said this in an interview before, but I think, you know, as a black professional, as a person of color, like you're always involved in some sort of diversity initiative. But I think that businesses think primarily in terms of numbers when it comes to diversity. And I think the thing, the reason why Alex has been influential for me is because, you know, he has taken me into places not where I was always not invited, but demanded that I be allowed a, to have a seat at the table to the point where then it, now it's like, oh, wait, Sarah's not coming, right? Now it's like the, the, the seat is prepared for me when I'm there versus him having to refuse to show up. And wow. there is, I mean, there have been, there were, were some conferences where it's like, well, no, we don't want her to speak. And he was like, well, if she doesn't have a speaking part, then I'm not coming. Um, I and I just, I think that is important to, when we talk about, you know, diversity and inclusion, it is, you know, sometimes, you know, when you have that platform, you have to help people make a way. Um, 
And he was always like, look, you're going to want to listen to what she says and you're going to want to have her back afterwards. Yeah. I promise. You know what I mean? Um, it's not like there wasn't value being added, but, um, and then um, the third person would be my mother, because I think that the personality trait that has helped me navigate this world the most is that of being empathetic. And she ingrained in us the idea that, you know, we are, everyone has a story, right? There's a reason for why people behave the way they do. You know, our responsibility is to treat people well. Um, and she always modeled that. And our responsibility is to be giving and, and to have open hearts and to be open hearted with people. Um, and I think that that has influenced my leadership. I think that is why, you know, my team stays with me because I lead from a place of, of you know, understanding and empathy. But I think it has also helped me navigate environments where that some people would feel were hostile, right? Because the idea that like understanding someone's background and their perspective, um, I, I just think is important in kind of going through this world. There are my three. What's an insult you've received that you're proud of? I love when people call me a bitch. <laughs> but you know, I also grew up on like '90s gangster rap. When it's like, right. you know, I will never forget my aunt. So they like people would send videos of, they would send tapes of music videos to Germany because we didn't get them, and so gangster bitch was out then, and and so like. It started on the recording, but then my aunt cut it off and I was always so mad because I, yeah, so I, um, I am okay with, people think it's an insult, but I'm fine with it. Yeah, so that goes into, uh, <laughs> I, I think you had a presentation or it was on social media, being bossy versus being a bitch, or as I would say, just being a boss bitch. <laughs> um, so that's all you. All right. And then. What does uh, your morning routine look like? <laughs> um, so I am this year, I read Atomic Habits. I'm definitely trying to, to get more into a routine. Um, now that there's summer school or summer camp, we're not as strict. So when, when school gets started, um, I try to wake up at like 536 before my family gets up. Um, that's the time that I've dedicated this year to read. So I'll try to read for 20, 30 minutes. Um, nice. I, I try to incorporate five minutes of like a guided meditation. Excellent. I've just, I have really learned that like, if I start my day with a little bit of peace and then, you know, get dressed and feed the dogs and, and my, I don't know about your Frenchies, my Frenchies sleep in, like yes. they will sleep until 10 o'clock. Like we have to wake them up like, like my daughter. So we literally, so, so everyone's usually asleep until I get them up. But I have found that when I start my day with some stillness and kind of like connect with myself, um, I just have a more successful day. And then it just, you know, day to day just depends. You know, when we finish this, I got to run upstairs and, and meet with Alex on some stuff and, I may be in a deposition. I may be in trial. I may be in class. Like it gets crazy after that first 30 minutes. Yeah. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? 
coffee or drink, whichever. Oh, historical figure, coffee or drink. Okay. Um, man. Hmm. So I would love to have a coffee or I'm sure she would drink. Like, I feel like she would drink bourbon with like Harriet Tubman. Mm, because I, I feel like she I is think like, she'd have a bourbon. She would need Yeah, one. I think she would have a bourbon. Like, you talk <laughs> about a boss bitch. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, you know. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, critical race theory. You think it's something politicized? Do you think it's been around? What are your thoughts? So here, I think the problem is that um, politicians have couched, I, I think politicians have created a buzzword of critical mm -hmm. race theory, Amen. which is not ever going to be taught at the elementary or high school or middle school level, right? Like critical race theory is an upper level, um, it's upper level coursework. Right. What it has been attached to is teaching historic, teaching like accurate history. <laughs> and I think that is just, it's, it makes me so sad. And the reason why is I think that, um, like we talked about earlier, I think we are all shaped by um our by the past you know i think that you know, and that's why it's very important to me to read to to read about the past i i love my my dad um made me read a book called before the mayflower mm -hmm. um which is obviously a history of slavery up through um civil rights right and and i feel like sitting and talking to, you know, when I'm at family reunions, like talking to, especially now that I'm older, talking to my relatives about their experiences helps me understand them so much more. Yes. Like my, my, I, I will never forget sitting around at a family reunion and my mom and her cousins were talking about a sleepover they had when the uh, KKK busted in the house, wow, scary. grabbed one of their cousins and lynched him because <gasps> he'd been accused of winking at a white woman. Well, he was cross-eyed. Oh my God. But that's not like something they got therapy for. Do you know right. what I mean? And right, so right. That carries they, on. Yeah. Right. That's something they have lived with and, and, and it didn't stop there. And so I think that when we understand the perspective of people and understand that like, this is what shapes their mindset, even if we haven't had that same experience, when we understand at least where, where each other are coming from, we can have real conversations about um, racial reconciliation and racial healing. But I think the problem is when when we are inaccurately teaching history to our to children and, and and then when they become adults, expecting them to understand the perspective of people, we have this huge divide. Um, you know, I teach at a predominantly white school. And so I, I obviously I have, you know, white students um, and one of my students, one of my white male students. Um, 
who's super smart and, and wanted to educate himself to figure out what maybe he was missing about some issues last year, um, started educating himself on, you know, the history of the United States and the civil and civil rights and Jim Crow. And he was like, I didn't learn, I don't know any of this. I don't even like, I had never heard of Tulsa, you know? And, and so, and he was like, if I had known this, you know, back in college, when we had certain debates, my perspective would have been different, right? I would have understood better where, because, uh, you know, we have to learn it, right? Because our parents are like, listen, this is what can happen. And right. here's why, right? But it's a protection. And so, and, and so I just, I think that this idea that certain children should not be taught an accurate account of the history of this country, we just do ourselves a disservice. And I don't think we can heal until we're all on the same page about what our true history is. And so that is my frustration with how um, the issue has been politicized because I think, you know, critical race theory is off obviously some a separate subset of- um, Buzzword, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's become a buzzword and it's like, we're not talking about critical race. We're not talking about teaching eight-year-olds critical race theory. We are talking about teaching children that like slave, like black folks didn't just hop on a boat and come over from Africa, like voluntarily and just volunteer to work. Like, you know, and I mean, slavery is an ugly thing, but I have to teach my daughter about it, you know? Right. So that is my frustration about that is that we, and I think the media plays a lot into that because, you know, having debates about critical race theory are a lot easier than talking about teaching accurate history. Yeah. And it's sexier, right? Like that gets people all riled up in the comments versus saying, hey, like, should we just teach this as it, as it occurred? And then like, who's going to argue about that? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, my media thought mine. So yeah, I, I think it's done on purpose for that reason. But yeah. just- the more negative we put out, the the more angry people are, the more we can politicize it. It's really but frustrating that the news has gotten that, that way. Yeah, I that. remember when growing up that it was just factual, right? Like they just reported the thing. Or so we thought. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, but it seemed like it, right? It seemed, it seemed like, yeah, it just, now it just seems blatant. Yeah. Um, on the something more fun. 90s hip hop, favorite song. Oh, oh. Um, 90s hip hop favorite song. So, you know, what happens when you get my age is you're like, okay, was it 90s or early 2000s? So, I'm thinking 98, um, DMX. DM, okay. I was, listen, I was in the South, but I thought I was from New York. Like, I was, (laughs) so I love like DMX and Noriega and Big Pun and Fat Joe. Yeah. I don't know that East Coast, that 90s right. East Coast, you, you couldn't beat it. West Coast came with it, but it, it was a different vibe. Yeah. Um, my wife sweat all West Coast. I'm more East Coast. Um, but she she knows it all very well. She lived in Boston for a while. But I'm all DMX, man. I rock DMX. Oh man, when he my broken. I will tell you my Vigetta. favorite old. Have you ever seen DMX do Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? No. You got, oh, I'm, I gotta I'm watch gonna it. send it to you. Okay. It's like my favorite video. For <laughs> I gotta see it. Best Rest in peace, DMX. 
Um, cool. Well, so that that show on HBO, I told you to watch. Yeah. Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And then um, my my uh, really good friend Sika was the editor of this book called Mixed Race Superheroes. You should check it out. She had, I think, she edited okay. or wrote two chapters in there. Really good. Um, but uh, just some extra fun stuff. Always, you know, trying to avoid the TV. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, although that's after my day, like I, I devote a lot in the morning to, you know, myself and mindfulness and prayer and thought, you know, at the end of the day, once I'm done working, working out and everything, I just want some, something to just entertain me and, and I'll, I'll watch TV till I fall asleep. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, this was awesome. This was fun. I hope this was one of the funner, uh, interviews been on, uh, had a good time. I really appreciate you being on. This was very cool. It was fun getting to know you. I can't wait to, I don't know, maybe I'll see you at Poma or Mass Torts next. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be at Mass Torts. Um, no? I think I'm doing, there's a women's conference, Women Society Women Trial Lawyers in New Orleans and then ATAA in Austin. Um, I've got a competition. I've got a coach in October, so I don't think I'll be there. Okay. What we'll do you see. do, Pelma at all? Hey, AJ. Maybe midwinter, I guess, is the next time I'll see you. Um, I don't know. I, well, unless you do like crisp evolve in November. Oh, I'm, that's right. Got, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I might I'll go. I've never been to one. I might do it. Um I love, yeah, that's my that's a fun. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, that's a good time. Well, have an amazing day. Thank you again. This was a lot of fun. Let me